Welcome to Solder Smoke, a podcast about wireless technology. We talk about everything from old-time crystal radios to modern digital satellites. All are welcome. Please join us in the Solder Smoke. Good morning. It's Sunday, May 6th, 2012. And this is Solder Smoke 143. A uh, way overdue, guys. I know. Excuses, excuses. Um... I got a lot of them. I've been melting solder, been building things. I've had computer trouble. It's uh, it's not been pretty around here in the maintenance department. But I have a, a computer. One of the computers, one of the roadkill computers sent to me by uh, a loyal solder smoke listener, a Tecra 8100, has been pressed into service, and hopefully it'll get us through this episode. Um, we've got some improvements on the computer front on the horizon. I'll talk about those in a few minutes. Not too much travelogue here. I um, thought I'd mention uh, Capucho the Flying Latino Retriever. Uh, <laughs> this is the uh, the name that we've given the dog. I think I mentioned uh, a while ago that a, uh, a friend of Maria's visiting from Italy. Uh, apparently back in Italy she's into uh, equestrian sports, uh, jumping with the horses and all that. And she decided to uh, teach the puppy Capucho how to high jump. This was a bad mistake because Capucho then became quite proficient at jumping over the fence around our house. And uh, this pushed me into a uh, long series of fence improvement projects, mostly involving making the fence ever higher. Um, nothing worked. And finally, we just gave up and called the fence company and had him put up a six-foot fence around the backyard. So Capucho is now safely uh, locked up in the Capucho prison. Um, been doing some kite flying. I thought I'd mention that also. You know, the last time I did some kite flying, the results were pretty uh, disastrous and medically spectacular. You'll recall my Achilles tendon injury that uh, resulted from the kite flying episode in the fields out in the Sabine Hills north of Rome. Well, back in April, we had a windy day. The I, I was off, the kids were off. We decided to take the kite, including the um, the big Delta kite. Not the Delta kite, what is it called? A Scott sled. I remember the Scott sled. I built a Scott sled out in the Azores. This was out of from a design out of, uh, out of Spratt. I found a design in Spratt that I like quite a bit. I scaled it up, and this was the, the uh, kite that I used to carry the, um, the little 35-millimeter camera with the N- any 555 timer device that I had built flew it over the Azores Islands and took pictures from the kite. Anyway, we, we pulled this thing out of storage, attached some string to it, and took it out to the local uh, school uh, sports field. And man, it flew. It flew beautifully. But I made a mistake and I put a string on it that was too light. So with poor Maria at the controls, the string broke and the uh, kite sailed into a, a tree at the edge of the school field, where I think it'll be there pretty much permanently. <laughs> I mean, it's made out of plastic garbage bags, and I think they have a half-life of about 20,000 years. So uh, kids for, for many generations will be wondering how those um, uh, black garbage bags got stuck up into the top of the tree next to the school. Maria has kind of uh, cautiously let her friends know that she's responsible uh, I'm happy to report that no uh, Achilles tendons were broken in this uh, this episode. Hey, uh, we 
we passed April 1st uh, this year, and you'll notice, I'm sure loyal listeners will have noticed that there were no April Fool's stories in the uh, in this year's episode. And this is because I really couldn't come up with any good ideas. The kids and I and Elisa, we were all racking our brains, thinking of something to do. And we came up with a number of ideas, but they were all uh, pretty weak. So we decided to pass on the April 1st this year. One of the problems is that, when you know, the, the, the ham radio tradition is to do um, technology-related April Fool's jokes, you know, things that are just so outrageous that they couldn't possibly be done. And as you guys know, uh, several times I've done this, and then only, uh, you know, well, a short while later to my chagrin, I find out that the uh, the thing that I was joking about was really possible. For example, one year we did the uh, the bit about me actually hearing uh, Michael AA1TJ's QRPPPP low-power signals all the way across the, the pond in, in Rome using my trusty Drake 2B and about three feet of wire. And that seemed ridiculous. And I, we, we had a little, little game where we, a uh, little, little stunt where we had uh, Michael recording uh, April Fools in, uh, in Morse. And then I played that and ha 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 April 1st. But then a short while later, we were all into QRSS and Whisper. And uh, that kind of reception was completely possible. Something similar happened this year. Uh, apparently Google, some of the employees at Google put together a video describing a new feature uh, for the um, for the smartphones. And it's um, a uh, an app that you would have there that would allow you to use Morse code to, <laughs> to text. And it was billed as something that would be a lot faster. Also, you could multitask. The video was quite good. Um, you, you, should, you should Google it. <laughs> I think I had a link up. I have a link to it up on the uh, on the solder smoke blog and it was all a big joke but then i think shortly after it came out or around the same time it came out an app that actually allowed you to do that was launched seriously by somebody so uh again the, the technology is is moving so fast that it's becoming difficult to come up with uh, real valid useful april 1st stories uh, lots of solder being melted here that's one of my excuses for being late with the um uh, with the program. Oh, yeah, but let me first tell you a little bit about uh, Zen and the Art of Telescope Maintenance. We've been talking a little bit about astronomy here lately, and I one of the problems I have with my 6-inch um, Dobsonian um, Newtonian uh, telescope is that the, the Dobsonian bit has been getting kind of, I don't know, it, it needs some uh, lubrication. You know, the, the Dobsonian scopes work because the, the thing basically rotates around on a on a lazy susan and has kind of vertical lazy susans with teflon pads that allow you to uh, change the the angle relative to the ground and the heavens and uh, when we were out in the sabine hills in italy i uh, at one point needed a little bit of lubricant there and reached over and used some olive oil on the teflon teflon pads and that seemed to work great for a while uh, but lately I noticed that the, the telescope's not moving as smoothly as it, it's supposed to. So, of course, back here I, I reached for what um, some friends of mine from Ireland from 17 meters used to refer to as the Pope's P, meaning it's really good. I'm talking about WD-40 here, guys, the Pope's P. <laughs> I think they meant that as a compliment to WD-40. Um 
anyway, I put some WD-40 on there, and uh, this proved, as, as many of you have pointed out, that the WD-40 is not, in fact, the magic elixir that cures all uh, electronic and mechanical woes. There's a downside to WD-40, and I found that it's not good as a lubricant for um, Teflon pads on not Dobsonian Newtonian scopes that didn't work. I, I then went out to the uh, to the internet as you do in this situation, kind of asked the question, "What do you use to lubricate this kind of device?" And sure enough, there were all kinds of answers. And and one of them was you should use turtle wax. Turtle wax, the kind of stuff that you use on on cars when you polish cars. If people still do that, uh, but okay. So I went out and got some turtle wax and put some turtle wax on the. Uh, on the Teflon pads, uh, I don't know. Thumbs down on the turtle wax. I was hoping that it was going to work because this is the kind of uh, solution, the kind of yeah, that's the kind of solution that uh, that appeals to uh, knack victims using something completely unrelated, something very uh, kind of pedestrian, that using it for an exotic purpose, it's sort of like using desitin. Remember, we were using desitin as the heat sink compound. <laughs> Mike, KL7R, and I were talking about this. If you don't have any real heat sink compound, a little bit of desitin there between the transistor and the heat sink will, will serve nicely. And it'll also um, um, give a very pleasant aroma in the room, in the ham shack, when the, uh, when, the, when the device is heating up. Well, I hope that turtle wax would fill a similar role. It, it didn't. And so back to the drawing boards for um, Dobsonian. Lubrication. I noticed in my uh, junk box I have a uh, um, a tube of kind of Teflon lubricant, Teflon-based lubricant that I think will be just the thing. I'll report on this later. Some uh, some astronomy news. I bet we were looking at um, Saturn for a while. Saturn was well placed in the morning and evening sky, and so for a while there we were getting really good views of. Uh, of Saturn, my views have been disturbed now because the the leaves are out, so the portion of the sky that I could see from my backyard has been reduced significantly by Mother Nature. But before the leaves came out, we were um, looking at Saturn quite a bit, and of course, when you see Saturn, you see Titan. And uh, I noticed <clears throat> that uh, um, I looked at Titan, and I went back out and looked at Titan about two weeks later, and it was completely on the other side of Saturn, at about the same distance. And so I figured, oh man, I, I, I think I can figure out the, uh, the orbital period of Titan. And uh, since it took it about two weeks to get from one side to the other, my guess was that it takes about a month for Titan to go all the way around. There I go to Wikipedia, boom, confirmed. This is one of the, uh, the joys of, of amateur astronomy, a very casual amateur astronomy. You get to discover significant astronomical effects, facts of all by yourself, hundreds of years after they were originally discovered by mankind, it was a uh, it was sort of uh, sort of satisfying in an odd way. All right, now to the electronics. Um, I've had all kinds of repair jobs to work on here. The um, uh, the MOSFET based um, Ramsey amplifier that I used on my uh, 17 meter rig went toes up, and uh, I of course immediately uh, suspected the uh, the MOSFETs. And sure enough, one of them had gone. It took me a while to uh, to get it out and to replace it. And anyway, back it is. These are MTP3055V MOSFETs. I think they were originally without the V model, 
but I replaced them with the V versions of this this MOSFET. Uh, I think apparently they have some better temperature stability characteristics. There's two of them in push-pull. Works quite nicely. I'm back in business on 17, but uh, I'm telling you, the uh, the sunspots are not cooperating, guys. It's, it's, it's ugly. Chris Trask uh, from out in Sonora Radio Research uh, put out a message on QRPL lately talking about how sad the sunspot situation is. I agree, Chris. It's uh, it's pretty awful. Uh, and this has me um, thinking twice, three times, about building anything for the higher HF frequencies. As a matter of fact, it's caused me to think about going lower, lower in frequency, and that's what I'm doing now. You know, I've, I've pulled out the, um, the famous, well, not famous, famous for me. <laughs> I've pulled out my kick panel rig. This is the rig that I built originally in London. Many years ago, it was designed to be. Uh, it was designed for uh, 75 meters, double sideband. It was going to be just a transmitter. I wanted to talk to the Brits locally with um, a 75 meter DSB rig, and uh, I built it on a uh, breadboard purchased at a Dias shop in Windsor, uh, England. And uh, the 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 name Kick Panel comes from the fact that at uh, at Farmers Hardware, Farmers Brothers Hardware on Fulham Road in uh, in South Kensington, I found a piece of aluminum intended to be used, I think, on a uh, on, on the bottom of a door. They call it a door kick panel. I guess the the doors in pubs get kicked a lot as people go in and out, and to prevent the uh, the the shoes from wearing out the wood, they put this metal panel there. So I I bought it from Farmer Brothers. Uh, in that neighborhood, it probably cost me about 10 pounds. It was an expensive neighborhood. Anyway, I got this thing, put some holes in it, wrapped it around the um, the uh, the breadboard, and that became the, the cabinet for this uh, evolving uh, radio transmitter. Well, I decided to finish it off. You know, I've been finishing off uh, and improving and, and uh, kind of modernizing rigs that I built in the last solar cycle or in in uh, previous bouts of homebrew enthusiasm and uh, I had pulled this thing out started working on it and then I I, I kind of didn't like the idea of just a, a separate transmitter and I said look it's a it's a it's a double sideband transmitter it's got the oscillator running at the operating frequency why don't I just put a little homebrew receiver in there um, and I figured a little a little neophyte would do well. You know, one of these real simple NE602 LM386 uh, two-chip uh, receivers, direct conversion receiver. I thought that would be fine. Um, you know, I'm not crazy about the chips. I'm not really an, an IC kind of guy. I'm more of a, a discrete component kind of home brewer. But I just wanted to get this thing done. I didn't have a whole lot of space in the cabinet. And this... Um, the transmitter already had a, um, I think it's uh, you know, some sort of op amp I have in the um, in the speech amplifier, in the mic amplifier. So I figure, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. I've already got a chip in there, so what the heck? Put two more and add a receiver, and then I won't have to worry about uh, you know connecting up the Drake 2B every time I want to put this thing on the air. It's 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 better to have a, a complete station in one box. So. Um, there I went. I started. I dragged out some NE602 chips and uh, an LM386 for the uh, audio amplifier, and using the um, the circuit, the the standard um, circuit from uh, 
the, the neophyte, uh, I think it was a QST article. I have a copy of it in QRP Classics, the QRP Classics book. Put it together. The only change, I, my, the front end um, uh, filter circuitry that I employed was a bit different from what they have in the original article. I have a, I had some really nice uh, 10.7 megahertz um, kind of uh, LC circuits in a can sent to me by Michael AA1TJ. Thanks, Mike. And I just uh, found an appropriate uh, trimmer capacitor, actually a fixed capacitor there because the the uh, the coil in this um, uh, LC circuit is uh, slug tuned. Popped it in there and peaked it up for uh, for 75 meters. You know, I had to go a couple rounds. This thing wasn't as easy as I thought. I and I actually destroyed a a couple of NE602s because if you put more than nine volts on these things, they uh, they they go toes up. So I had to get some uh, Zener diodes. I think I got 7.2 volt Zener diodes and put that put one of them across the uh, the supply rail. So I'm no longer destroying uh, NE602s. Uh, and the receiver works just fine. It's a, it's a real hoot. I like I really like uh, direct conversion receivers, and I have it in the cabinet. Now all I have to do is um, uh, kind of uh, tame the uh, the final amplifier. You know that's the uh, that's the challenge. You know this I, I, the the final amplifier in this thing. It, it's kind of got a sentimental connection. It's uh, it's one that I I designed the amplifier chain myself using LT Spice. This was back when Michael uh, KL7R and I were talking about amplifier design and um, experimenting with LT Spice to uh, to get uh, the amplifiers designed properly. And I just, as an experiment, built a, a series of uh, Class A and, and AB uh, amplifiers, and that's what we have in the transmitter now. So everything's set. The, the TR arrangements are all set up, all of what uh, Reverend George Dobbs would refer to as the socketry. The socketry was already on there. <laughs> so I didn't have to do any additional socketry, George. Uh, uh, that was all done in England uh, five or six years ago. And uh, the the receiver there is mounted. And, and as soon as I get some time, I'm going to tame that final amplifier. I, pl I plan on applying a lot of ferrite and, and, uh, and bypass caps. It should all come out, and hopefully I'll have this thing on the air. You know, I've been listening to 75 meters with it just in the morning here as I'm drinking my coffee. I had a little DC receiver turned on. And, you know, 75, I might have I might have been a little bit too harsh on 75 meters. I, You know, there's some, uh, in the evening especially, there's some rather um, kind of harsh and rough uh, conversations going on there. Things get... Uh, things get too political and and uh, partisan, and uh, and actually, I think some of the uh, the harsh conversation might partially be fueled by alcohol in the evening hours. But if you listen in in the morning, uh, it's it's quite pleasant. I mean, I know there's a the problem there where people in groups of people seem to kind of own frequencies, but uh, but I've been I've been enjoying the conversations on 75 meters in the morning. Not all of them, but most of them. So uh, I think it's going to be okay, and I look forward to putting this thing on the air soon. That's been my uh, my my project here. Let's see what else. Uh, another thing we got going on is uh, computer work. The uh, 
You might notice that the audio quality on this uh, podcast is a bit, uh, not quite as good as it was uh, in recent editions, I'm, because the I had really good luck with that Sony Vios laptop that I told you about. This is the one that I was uh, repairing the NVIDIA uh, video chip by uh, using the light bulb, the light bulb method of reheating the solder. Uh, you, you, I, I told you the story, and I got stuff up on the blog. The uh, apparently the the Nvidia graphics chip had some, maybe some lead-free solder in there that got mixed with uh, lead leaded solder. And anyway, after it heated up and cooled down a few times, the chip would kind of lift off the board, and it would be a real ugly mess. Well, I I went in there with a light bulb, one of these big 150 watt halogen bulbs, and. Uh, Heated up that chip and reflowed the solder, and man, I was recertified as an electronic wizard in the eyes of my family. Um, well, it 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 the problem reoccurred, and I had to go in there and fix it again. Anyway, I went in there with the light bulb again and fixed it again. Ha ha ha! I did the victory dance. Yes, I fixed the computer again, but then it reoccurred after a week or so. And anyway, as the Italians would say. Basta! <laughs> Enough. <laughs> I'm not going to fix this thing anymore. I'm going to pull the hard disk out. It's done. And uh, you know, boo on Sony. Boo on Sony for making a defective product and then not paying for the repairs. Cheapos. Um, in the computer business, though, we've got big developments. Because I mentioned that Billy wanted to build his own machine. And um, one of our most loyal and uh, valued solder smoke listeners are our man in Dayton, Bob Crane, W8SX, came to the rescue. He uh, His Boy Scout uh, group had been putting together building computers, and he had, a, he had a whole bunch of spare components, and Bob has very kindly contributed these uh, all these parts to, the, uh, Billy, to Billy's computer building effort. I, uh, I put together a bench, so Billy has his own workbench up in his room, and uh, it, it's starting to look like a, a shack, a shack not focused on radio, but a shack focused on computers. Bob sent us uh, uh, several care packages with parts and boards and motherboards and uh, all everything you need, and Billy has learned a tremendous amount, and he is actually assembling this computer. It's coming along. Thanks very much, uh, Bob. Uh, Billy is into it and uh it's it's a real pleasure for me to to see him working on this stuff um let's see what else um what else we got here oh a major development on the um on the on the homebrew uh, qrp media front i guess the way we can call it you know i i, I don't often recommend other podcasts because well I want you guys to listen to this one. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Of course, I, I, I've, I've talked about other podcasts when they come along. But, man, a good one has come along. And I, you guys really have to listen to this. It's um, from the New Jersey QRP Club, NJQRP. They've got that cool logo with the, the mosquito on it. And the boys from NJQRP have come up with a really amazing audio product. It's called Chat with the Designers. It's put out by George Heron and Joe Everhart uh, of the New Jersey QRP Club. And both of them are really 
famous, well-known uh, QRP uh, homebrew guys who've made enormous contributions to the uh, hobby over the years. It just it's funny because I start just before I started listening to uh, chat with the designers. I had became aware of, of Joe Everhart by getting by looking through back issues of QRP Quarterly, and Joe has so many contributions that, especially to the technical tidbits uh, part of the of the magazine, it seemed like every issue I'd, I'd be climbing onto the uh, to the metro into the Washington train system here with a, uh, a copy of QRP Quarterly in there, and it just seemed like every issue I opened up there was something useful from Joe Everhart. Um, Anyway, Joe and George have got together, and every Tuesday night they get together using a, online, using a, a system known as TeamSpeak. It's kind of a voice over IP meeting software. works really well, and they pick a topic, and they talk through it, and it is just chock full of really great technical information. The style is friendly. They, uh, they have people calling in to discuss the, the topic at hand. And I have learned so much from these uh, from these sessions. I really, really strongly recommend it. Just Google uh, NJQRP Chat with the Designers, and you'll find a page. You can download the um, the episodes if you don't get a chance to listen to them live. And uh, I put them in my MP3 player and and listen to them, and and it's really great. Uh, I've got so many good ideas from there from them. For example, I was thinking about what to do with my um, wave meter that uh, that device that uh, that I picked up in the United Kingdom the the wave meter what to do with it and um, just listening to um, one of the test gear sessions on chat with the designer I, I realized that I could hook it up with my um, w7zoi logarithmic um, power meter and come up with uh, a way of testing for um, harmonic transmissions and just to see how uh, you know, give a kind of a frequency sensitive element to the um, to the power meter. That would be really good. They also mentioned how you could check the attenuation on the 40 dB pad that that um, that Wes and his co-authors uh, discussed in that famous article on the W7ZOI uh, power meter. And uh, I built a 40 dB pad for it, but I was never quite sure whether it was really 40 dB. And uh, Joe and George pointed out that you can check the attenuation just by checking the uh, the DC attenuation. You don't have to really worry about measuring it at RF. You could just see how much it attenuates DC, and then just with some simple formulas, that'll give you a real accurate sense or a real accurate readout on what the what the what the attenuation is. Of course, I'd never thought about that. Um, and uh, they did. They recently did a session with um, Alan W two A E W Alan Walkie, the uh, one of our our really loyal uh, longtime listeners and contributors. Alan is the uh, uh, field engineer for Tektronics and uh, a real enthusiast of, uh, of of oscilloscopes. And they did a, a a session with Alan on how to use oscilloscopes. And it was so great. I, I, you know, I, I don't think I've ever listened to a podcast, an individual podcast episode more than once, <laughs> not even my own. <laughs> but, 
But I listened to the one that did on our, on oscilloscopes, and I listened to that thing all the way through twice, and then skipped through it to get the important bits a third time. Really, really great stuff. And so, three cheers for um, for um, George Heron, Joe Everhart, NJQRP, and uh, and N. Allen for that uh, that recent contribution. You know, the um, I've got all kinds of great ideas from listening to these sessions. They did a session on. Uh, on digital modes on PSK 31, um, and I uh, and they, they just gave me the idea. They re- I realized that you could just you know sort of decode the PSK 31 and other digital transmissions just by running um, FL Digi on your computer and and taking the input through the through the microphone on the computer, and you didn't have to worry about any kind of hookup. So I would turn on the Drake 2B and tune through the digital portions of the bands, and uh, and uh, Watch the uh, the decoded uh, QSOs scroll across the screen. It was nice, but I have to say I'm I, I'm staying away from the digital modes. I, I find that the digital modes somehow make me grumpy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just it, it, it may not be my thing. I may be a phone guy, and maybe I should stick with it. Um, anyway, that's been a lot of fun through these uh, these sessions. I've also uh, learned about two new mailing lists that I was unaware of. Um, you know, we all get QRPL, and it's it's great, great fun. Uh, but there's another one out there called QRP-Tech, QRP Tech, that I signed up for. And uh, that's run by Chuck Adams, and it, it turns out to be a really great resource. There's another one called AQRP, AQRP mailing list. And you can find out all about this, I think, just by by googling them or looking in yahoo but aqrp is from the austin texas qrp group what a fantastic group they have down there um i really uh, i really enjoy that one so if you guys are looking for more reading uh more reading material uh sign up for qrp tech and aqrp i think you'll you'll really like that um let's see what else we have here things to talk about oh Okay, so uh, I was thinking about what my next project's going to be. And, um, you know, I, I, at first I thought about changing the, uh, the um, kick panel QRP rig into something new and completely different. Yeah, but then, like I said, I decided, oh, no, okay, it's going to stay what it was originally intended to be, a 75-meter DSB rig now with a receiver. Before I made that decision, I was toying around with the idea, you know, things come your way and they, they kind of, sometimes rigs almost seem to kind of assemble themselves. It almost seems to be fate that pushes you towards building a certain rig. I um, I commented one time that I built a 75-meter, uh, 80-meter, 75-meter, uh, 40-meter receiver called Mate for the Mighty Midget, and it came together almost through a process like spontaneous combustion. All the parts were kind of gathering in the corner. A couple of articles from QST were kind of nearby, and then boom, next thing you know, you're building this receiver. <laughs> That's what happened in that case. But uh, something similar just recently happened because I was thinking about what to do with the uh, kick panel rig. And um, then... Um, then, uh, let's see, Steve Smith out there in California, WB6TNL, Steve Snort Rodson Smith, our, our man on the left coast, 
sent me a, a crystal filter from a Yesu transceiver. It's a uh, 9 megahertz filter, and it's for phone. And it's uh, it's just sitting here. It's got, it's got the associated crystals for the carrier oscillator with it. It's just been sitting here looking at me. And every time I come into the shack, it's sitting there kind of urging me to build something with it. And then it occurred to me, that's what I want to do. I've been getting emails. I've been reading emails about the BIDX20 that um, Farhan and his intrepid worldwide network of radio home brewers have been working on. And I decided I want to build a BIDX20. But mine's going to be different. Mine's going to be a BIDX20 slash 75. And instead of the, the 10 megahertz IF that they use in the BIDX, I'm going to use this filter, this 9 megahertz uh, uh, IF, this 9 megahertz filter that uh, Steve Smith sent me. And that's going to be the core of this rig. You know, and there's a real big advantage in using the 9 megahertz um, filter because very easily you can get a rig for 20 and for 80 or 20 and 75, depending on how you look at it. Um, and it just, it's real simple to see. You, you, you build the, the 9 megahertz, you, you generate the SSB at 9 megahertz, then you build an oscillator, the you know, the um, the local oscillator, the VFO actually, you build the VFO for the transceiver at 5 megahertz. Okay, so 9 plus 5 gets you 14, and that gets you up onto, um, uh, uh, onto 20 meters. And 9 um, minus 5 gets you down to 75 or 80 meters and there you have it you have a, a dual band rig and you don't you know you just you tune for the one and you get 20 meters you tune for the other and you get 75 interesting fact here by the way guys do you, do you realize why on the the lower frequency hf bands we use lower sideband and why on the higher frequency af uh, hf bands we use upper it's because of that arrangement because early in the days of ssb they figured out that by using a 9 megahertz um, filter, you could get both uh, 75 and 20 meters on one filter. And just because of the way the arrangements work out, that if you, you set it up so that 20 meters is upper sideband um, with the same crystal for the carrier frequency, um, 75 meters will be lower sideband. I learned that by taking a look at the 2006 handbook a copy of which is in our local library here. Kind of interesting bit of radio history. Anyway, that's going to be the next project. I, I started, when I, when I decided this, I pulled out the, um, um, the, the article, the original article um, from Farhan on the BIDX20. What a beautiful design that is. The bi-directional amplifiers, the switching arrangement from T to R, really, really, Beautiful and simple, simple and beautiful. I, I really like that design, and I can't wait to get going on building this thing. Um, the other thing, if you read through Farhan's article, it's at his site at uh, PhoneStack. If you just do a, a Google search for Farhan and BIDX20, it'll take you to the PhoneStack website with the original article on there. And you look, and you, you can see that it, and he discusses how the, 
a big part of the design was making sure that um, that all the parts were the kind of parts that uh, amateurs around the world with limited resource and limited access to exotic and specialized parts could get. And I, I really I, I, I really enjoyed when when Farhan was discussing how much if if you wanted to how what's the minimum you would probably have to spend to build a, a bid X twenty transceiver. And in, uh, he, he gave the fig- figure in, in rupees, but then he translated it and it came to about $7. So this is like a $7 uh, 20 meter transceiver that you could put together using junk box parts or parts salvaged from old, uh, old TVs. And uh, three cheers for, for Farhan and the BIDX 20. And uh, I hope to get mine going here real, real soon. All right, and another project. Here's another, and another thing I want to build. You know, I was when I was getting ready for the uh, for the Vienna Wireless Society's uh, magnificent Winterfest Hamfest. I was looking around the shack for some things that I could get rid of, um, and there were a couple of items that I had in hand that almost made it into the uh, for sale box but were saved at the last minute when I reconsidered. I'm, I'm holding one of them in my hands right now. It's a uh, Communication Concepts um, RF amplifier for two meters. And it's got a, it's basically a big heat sink with a little PC board inside it with a relay to switch in and out, input, output, uh, jacks, nice fuse, and uh, you know, voltage input. And I don't really do much with two meters. I've used this thing for, for satellite work, but I haven't done a whole lot with that lately and I was about to sell this thing and I realized wait a second everything that that I need for just about everything I need for a neat little HF amplifier is right here the board with the traces uh, I could probably even use the same transistor the the relay the in the amp in amp out relay is there and uh, above all the the heat sink uh, which is a which is a problem so I decided to keep this, and I have a I have a, a Ramsey kit amplifier, very similar for um, for 440 megahertz that I use. I have used even even less frequently. So I'm thinking that I'm going to hold on to these things and um, have them be reborn as HF amplifiers um, here in the future. I hope uh, QRP fans will not be offended by these comments but uh i i am uh occasionally a bit more pragmatic about power levels than some of the uh the real <laughs> diehard <laughs> true believers you know so i admit it there you go um let's see what else oh new sprat came in sprat 150 congratulations to george dobbs and the entire uh, gqrp team another magnificent addition really enjoyed it accompanied me on many trips into uh, Washington, D.C. on the metro. Really great, and uh, what an achievement. 150 uh, quarterly editions. Uh, three cheers for GQRP and Sprat. Hey, uh, I put a, a video up. I want to call attention to something I put up on the uh, on the blog. Forget where it was, where how I came to know about this, but um, Bonanza was an old TV show that I watched as a kid. And it featured the uh, Ben Cartwright and his three sons, and they lived on a ranch called uh, the Ponderosa. And um, 
in Virginia City, Nevada. And it was always a nice show. I always liked Bonanza when I was a kid, but I never, I didn't, I must have, I must have missed the episode in which they talked about science and astronomy. And uh, the, so somebody alerted to me this, and I, I went, alerted me to this, and I went to, to Hulu, and sure enough, very quickly was able to find the the episode, or I think I, I might have got it on YouTube, and sure enough, there they uh, they have an episode, and, and the, the, the story, it's a really nice story. It's about um, a kid in town who takes an interest in science, and it's... Um, Michelson of Michelson and Morley fame, the guy who the guys who did the uh, the experiments that proved the non-existence of ether, um, a very important discovery. And it was about Michelson as a boy, and it's loosely based on fact, but there's a nice little story there, a nice little sort of knack-related story, astronomy on the western frontier, and this kid trying to do very kind of knack-related experiments. And there's a nice kind of brotherhood of, uh, of knack enthusiasts uh, message to it. I think you guys will enjoy it. So take a break from all the electronics. Uh, check out the Bonanza episode. And it's a lot of fun. And like I said, a very uplifting message there at the end. Speaking of video, somebody told me, and I got an email, and I forget, forget exactly who it was that told me. I'm, I'm sorry. That there's a new TV show called Touch. My kids like it, and I watch it with them occasionally. They say that the latest episode of Touch has quite a bit to do with ham radio, and ham radio comes along, comes across in a very positive way. So I guess if you're looking for some ham radio um, a video, uh, check out the newest, the newest episode of Touch. There you go. Hold on. Let me see. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention something. Forgive me, guys, for jumping around. I'm out of practice here. Um, Belden 1671A. I mentioned this as uh, uh, the possible salvation from uh, the dreaded Murphy's whiskers of RG174 mini coax. I talked about our problems with RG174 and the little bits of wire that inevitably come off from the uh, um, from the shield portion of that little miniature coax, um, Belden 1671A was uh, touted as the solution, and uh, I managed to find some. I put up, I put my source up there on the uh, on the blog. So if you want to buy some, uh, it's available at a reasonable price, and I put it to use in the uh, reconstruction of the kick um, kick panel transceiver. I really like it. You know, I, I could see where sometimes you'd want to go with the more flexible RG174, even running the risk of uh, Murphy's whiskers. But in most cases, the um, the Belden 1671A, really nice. Uh, you don't have to worry about that uh, the dielectric melting on you. You can solder the whole thing right down onto the board. Um, the, 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 the shield is on the outside, and so you just solder it down. And I found it very useful in the kick panel uh, rig. I like it a lot. It is kind of hard to get the um, the shield off to strip it to expose the the dielectric and the central conductor, but I, I found I was able to do it just by careful use of some wire strippers. I would take the wire strippers and kind of just work them around until I kind of cut nicks into the 
shield and then I pulled it off. I know there's a risk that I might be creating a bit of a, an impedance bump there, but it seemed to work okay. And, uh, and so I, 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 um, I'm really happy to be doing that. Hey, there was some messages that came across, um, QRPL, um, comparing, I think this might've been also from Chris Trask, uh, uh, comparing the current solar flux index numbers to, uh, historical, um, figures. And it, it made me, and I think many others realize how, how poor we have it right now. The, 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 the poor conditions for propagation that we're dealing with, even though they appear, they sometimes seem to be relatively good. Um, it's, it's really pretty pathetic. Uh, Lately, the, the solar flux index has been around 112, 115 the last few days. I went back and checked to see what it was on my birthday back then, way back in, in IGY in the International Geophysical Year. During that whole period, right around the time I was born, um, September 14th, 1958, the solar flux index was at 300 or above. Wow good DX back then. So, um, and I don't know, it's not looking good. It doesn't look like it's improving much. So kind of discouraging times. Anyway, um, that's what's making me think about uh, going lower in frequency. 160 meters is looking better every day, guys. All right, now it's time for Solder Smoke Mailbag. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah, solder smoke mailbag. Lots of good mail here. Um, um, got an email from a from a guy, uh, Yi Yao. Uh, he told me his knack story, and I, I pronounced that Yi Yao definitely has the knack. He was talking about homebrew oscilloscopes, and uh, that definitely qualified him as a as a uh, as a person with the knack. And I put his story up on the blog check it out got some nice email from uh, from farhan in india we've been discussing the uh the um jbot uh amplifier and and there's been an effort on the in the bidx 20 group to refine and improve that already wonderful amplifier design and uh, farhan sent me a note and said that recently he's been working on uh, surface mount uh, with surface mount stuff and he's actually come to like it so you're once again as in so many things Barhan you're you're way ahead of me I am I have I have taken the plunge once on surface mount and I I jumped back out of the water <laughs> got an email from uh, from Wes and we talked a little bit about the evolution of the uh, W7ZOI meter Wes uh, always a very um, humble guy and always a, a guy who wants to share credit and he's always he tells me he's always been kind of bothered by the fact that we all call it the W7ZOI meter when, in fact, if you look at the uh, the original article, there were other people involved. So we should all make an effort to give uh, credit to the others. But uh, always good to hear from uh, from Wes. Uh, got a nice email from uh, uh, Alan W2AEW, our man at Tektronics. And uh, I, I, a lot of email exchanges with him. Then I was really happy to see him on uh, EE Web, and then also uh, uh, on uh, Hackaday. Was it Hackaday? Yeah, Hackaday. Alan does amazing stuff with uh, with uh, with oscilloscopes. And one of the uh, 
one of the things that he had on um, on Hackaday was a video that he did on how to send composite video through a Tektronix scope. This was really great, and it, basically he he did it you know by manipulating the familiar X and Y axes, but also the Z axes. I didn't even know I had a Z axis on my oscilloscope, but apparently it, it has to, the Z axis is the intensity of the beam. And when you take these three and combine it with a little circuit that, that Alan whipped up, you're able to get composite video through the oscilloscope. And in the YouTube video that Alan prepared, he, he used the composite video coming through the scope and he took his video camera and put it on the scope screen and then used it to give us a tour of his shack and workshop with the video being presented through the cathode ray tube of his Tektronix scope. How is that? And how is that for, for good stuff? Speaking of, um, uh, of Tektronix scopes, I got a very interesting email from Preston up there in, in, in New York City. And he pointed out that on the Tech 465 scope that many of us are, are using and that I have now here on, in my shack, thanks to the generosity of a, of a solder smoke friend, uh, there's a, uh, there's kind of a back door into the Tech 465 that many of us were unaware of. And it's a BNC jack on the back of the scope. And if you hook that up, it provides an output that's useful for a frequency counter. So you could take your frequency counter, hook it up onto the back of the scope, and it takes, takes advantage of the amplifiers in the oscilloscope. So even with signals that would normally be insufficient to trigger the, the frequency counter, when you have it set up this way, you put your scope probe on the, uh, on the signal, you see it displayed on the CRT scope, CRT tube of the oscilloscope, and you also get a frequency display from the frequency counter. I haven't tried it yet, but I immediately relayed this information to the uh, to the many uh, Tech 465 fans out there, and I was pleased that uh, Farhan came back with a "Whoa, I gotta try that" kind of thing. So I, I think I, I I was pleased to to bring a bit of new information to the attention of of Farhan. There are indeed many enthusiastic Tech 465 uh, users out there. Hey, I made a mistake. Uh, Yee Yao's in Canada, not in the USA. Sorry about that, Yee Yao. Um, let's see, more news. <clears throat> oh, yeah. NT7S, Jason, has launched uh, a new company. He's producing new kits, and he's got one that I think is really interesting. He is really our solder smoke sponsor of the episode. Um, he's got an open beacon kit for QRSS. Uh, he's putting it together. His a link to his site with more information on it is up at the top of the Solder Smoke blog page. Just click on the, the logo. And uh, Jason and his kits will be at Dayton, so be sure to check them out. Also at Dayton, uh, I hope everybody has a great great time at uh, four days in May. Uh, and um, keep an eye out for our correspondent, Bob Crane. W8SX. Don't be Mike shy. If, if, if Bob asks you to, to speak to the world through the Solder Smoke podcast, step forward. You know, give it your best shot. You know, fame and fortune awaits. So, <laughs> and I thank, uh, I thank Bob in advance for doing that. Um, a little bit of worrisome news here. Um, our friend Andrew Atkinson in the UK 
very noted ham radio operator, QRP guy, and uh, very successful uh, author of um, fiction, some of it radio-related. It's not feeling well, and uh, his nephew sent me an email, said that Andrew's in the hospital. So um, I sent along uh, my best wishes, and I know uh, uh, all of you will be, be thinking of Andrew also. Hope you get well soon, Andrew. Get back to the shack. Get back to the typewriter. Um, <clears throat> Jamie reports that a, uh, a a transit of Venus is coming up in June. I didn't know about this. Thanks for the heads up, Jamie. Um, Venus is going to go in front of the sun from our earthly perspective. And this creates a great opportunity for folks like me who've been kind of fooling around with uh, solar astronomy. I'm going to get the uh, nine inch, uh, the six inch Dobsonian Newtonian out in the front yard, hopefully with better lubrication, and uh, get the the paper projection system out there, and hopefully we'll be able to see Venus as it makes its way across the uh, the face of the sun in June. Looking forward to that. Uh, Herb WR9H sent us word of a new book. Uh, called The Idea Factory. It's about Bell Labs. Uh, Herb gave us a couple of quotes from the book, and I put them up on the blog. You can check them out. Really looks interesting. Uh, I think this is a, a must-buy for uh, solder smoke fans and knack victims. Um, Dean, WA6P, sent a very interesting and useful message to me on the practice of placing diodes across the coils of relays in radio rigs. Um, many of us have learned the hard way that this is a good thing to do because those voltage, those uh, those voltage spikes, those transients that can come off a relay, can go up to a thousand volts or more. Uh, very briefly, of course, this is more than enough to fry an NE602 chip. And I have fried many of them in this way before I started assiduously putting what we call snubber diodes across these relays. Uh, Dean points out that there's the way that the way I've been doing it, the way we've all been doing it, is not quite optimal, and apparently it'll have it'll cause uh, the relays to degrade faster than they need to. So um, he provides some uh, good technical advice on how to do it the proper way. I haven't really dug into it yet, but it's available on a website called electro-tech-online, and I'll try to put links up on the blog. But thanks for alerting that us to that, uh, Dean. Uh, Steve Silverman has been named the official solder lexicographer. Uh, Steve has been providing interesting input on the origin of terms such as the NAC. This week, he last week he sent in uh, something on the relationship between tobacco tins and the word lid and the expression a lid and uh, i put that up on the blog steve please keep those um, those entries coming soon we'll have the uh, the solder smoke knack dictionary complete and finally i'd like to thank everybody who's been sending in really a good advice for um, billy's computer project and uh, it's been really great steven has sent in many many messages thanks steven thanks everybody who sent in word uh, it's all been very useful, and it's been a good project for Billy, and it's helped him. Uh, it's encouraged him, and it's, it's encouraging to know that so many folks out there are, are willing to pitch in with advice, and, and, and as Bob Crane did with, uh, with, with wonderful uh, parts and, and material support. Hey, guys, that's about it. We've got a busy day coming up here. Got a lot of things to do in the shack. 
you know, it's springtime, so there's a, also a whole lot of um, kind of yard work to take care of. We got gardens growing, but uh, bicycle needs some work. Busy, busy, busy. You know how it is. I'll try to try to try to keep some uh, keep the soldering iron uh, going and uh, keep some projects active on the workbench. I hope you all do the same. Have a great time at uh, Dayton. Safe travels to all those who are heading out to four days in May, especially those who are coming from across the pond for this uh, for this big event. And uh, well, we'll see you next time here on uh, on Solder Smoke seven three from Northern Virginia. Ciao, bravi ragazzi. The Solder Smoke podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, Consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support.